Welcome to the Kinetic Enterprise, built to evolve, presented by Deloitte. Your host for the program is Bonnie D. Graham. This program will help set up your business for the future with topics centered on the four pillars of the Kinetic Enterprise. We'll focus on case studies and leading practices designed to move you to the next level. Now, here is Bonnie D. Graham. Thank you, sir. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Bonnie in the house. I have three very esteemed guests with me, and what an interesting topic today. But before I start, I want to remind you all that Deloitte has been recognized by SAP as the number one global partner. Follow Deloitte on Twitter at, at Deloitte SAP. One word. There we go. So after the COVID-19 crisis forced organizations like yours, we're talking to a global business audience, forced organizations to look at workforce well-being and business evolution in a new light. Enterprise decision makers have learned and applied some invaluable lessons. And you all know what we're talking about. So today we have three Deloitte transformation leaders. We're doing part two, a sequel to a conversation we started in May of 2020. Now think back, May of 2020, that was about a year and a half ago. We're now live in the end of September, 2021. We had been in the pandemic since officially March or April. So it was still new, still dawning on us. Anyway, the discussion we started examined some of the actions businesses could take at that time to foster greater innovation, inclusivity, and well-being during a business transformation. Today, you're going to learn how industry leaders have effectively addressed workforce stress. We've all got it. Changing human needs. Yes, they have. And ongoing disruption while positioning their organizations to thrive. Our conversation today will explore how expectations have evolved since our initial conversation 16 months ago. Boy, has time flown. Emerging well-being and transformation trends that leaders like you, our listeners, need to know about and lessons learned that can help your organization make your people and culture even more transformation-ready think we want to put that up in a banner somewhere and prepared for future uncertainty. Now sit on that one for a while. Today, I'm so pleased to welcome back. Everybody wave when I get to your name, Darwin Deano. Darwin, welcome. So happy to see you. We have Jen Fisher and we have Nishida Henry. And we're going to ask them for their insights on today's episode of the Kinetic Enterprise Wellbeing as a Catalyst for Transformation part two. Again, Bonnie D. Graham in the house. Happy to be here. Let's go around the table. And Darwin, it's been 16 months. I can't believe anybody would have forgotten any of the three of you, but just in case they've been busy and forgot, why don't you reintroduce yourself to our vast global audience for the Kinetic Prize. Darwin, welcome. Hey, Bonnie. Thanks for having me. Uh, Darwin Diano, Global SAP Leader for Deloitte. Um, and really excited about the topic because ultimately businesses are led by humans and exist to serve humans and um, health is uh, important. Darwin, give us a little update on your bio. What have you been up to the past year and a half? What, what kind of work are you doing as Deloitte SAP? What's your focus? Just addressing the needs of the market. Um, uh, the SAP uh, business is um, growing and there's a lot of demand for work. Very, very grateful um, that we are able to continue what we're doing despite the pandemic. Um, and uh, it's been a very, very intense uh, 18 months in terms of uh, just um, serving clients and helping them transform their businesses. 
Thank you very much. Well, we're glad you're here and you're looking well on our topic of well-being. So happy to see that. (laughs) And now let's go to the person at Deloitte whose title includes well-being, Jen Fisher, (laughs) Chief Well-Being Officer. So nice to see you again, Jen. Would you please tell us what you've been up to the past 16 months and a quick take on well-being, Catalyst for Transformation. Where are we going? Yeah, absolutely. So thanks. Thanks for having me back. It is good to be back uh, with Darwin and Nishida and with you, Bonnie. Um, Excited for our conversation. So what have I been up to last 18 months? Wow, I can I think I can barely remember yesterday or last week. Um, (laughs) Well, uh, but see, personally, over the last 18 months, I've actually written and published a book with my co-author on Phillips called Work Better Together. So anybody that wants to learn more after this conversation, um, it's about the impact and uh, importance of relationships in the workplace and our well-being and how they impact the bottom line. And we talk a lot about, um, you know, technology and the impact that technology has had on our ability to develop and maintain and sustain uh, meaningful relationships in the workplace. And it was a really fascinating time to actually write a book on that topic since most of us had shifted into a work from home model and what was keeping us connected was the technology that we had um, at our disposal. And so I'm really excited about the conversation today because I think that we are going to dive into that and mm-hmm. dig into that. Um, and I'm I'm excited about, I'm not a technology hater, let's just put that out there. I'm actually excited about the opportunities of the future um, where we can really truly use the technology that we have at our disposal to make the uh, the workplace a much more human workplace where we celebrate what makes us human and we use the technology to augment those human skills, those human capabilities, um, but that we celebrate things like compassion and empathy and complex problem solving, all the things that we know that humans are better at. So looking forward to the conversation today. Thank you, Jen. Was that a preamble from your book? I loved what you said. <laughs> that was beautiful. I felt it like I it might have been included in there. I got it from somewhere. <laughs> Was I reading the back jacket? I like that. Something like that. (laughs) Very well put. And empathy and compassion. All I'll say is yes, yes, and yes. Thank you very much. Nishida Henry is our third guest today. Also very happy to see you back, Nishida. Would you please do me the honor of bringing us up to date on what have you been up to in the past year and a half? And a quick overview of what's your take on well-being as a catalyst for transformation. Awesome. Thank you. Thanks for having me again. Love being with this group. So I'm Nishita Henry. I serve as our Chief Innovation Officer for U.S. Consulting. And in that job, I'm responsible for helping to transform the professional services industry um, and use technology and human ingenuity in order to create new solutions for the market. So it's a fun job. Um, It takes all the best aspects of technology, what makes us human, of industry depth, um, to do new things um, with partners in the ecosystem like SAP and others. Um, past 16 months has all been focused on capitalizing that market, right? This market, we haven't seen this much change um, in probably our lifetimes, to be honest, right? Even though we lived through the dot-com eras and the Great Recession, this era of change is truly net new because it changes not only what we're doing, but how we're doing it. Um, and so I think that that is that combination is going to be so key in what we all create for our, our, our future together. Um, my take on the well-being portion is, you know, look, I, I look at well-being as fuel. It's the fuel for all of us to actually grow and progress and do the things that Jen said makes us more human, right? It's that empathy, um, it's that courage, um, it's that, you know, conflict resolution. But in order to do that effectively, 
we in and of ourselves need to have a sense of well-being of our mind, of our body, um, of our state of of community and society. Um, and that's gotten so much harder with all the things going on in the world today. So I'm really looking forward to talking about this topic as using, you know, well-being as a catalyst for transformation and as the fuel. Thank you, Nishita. I want you to write down 9.09 a.m. Eastern, write it down somewhere, because that was the iconic moment where you said the iconic statement, I look at well-being as fuel. I've never quite heard it put that way, and I liked it. So if you want to find that on the soundtrack, we'll have your name on your individual. That's where you find that moment, and you can just take that clip. Look what I said on the radio. (laughs) Thank you very much. Let's go to the part of the show now where my guests have graciously sent me a quote from a movie or a song or a TV character, fictional, and they're going to relate the quote, which has nothing to do with the topic, on the surface, literally, but figuratively, they say it does, and we're going to find out why. Darwin Deanna was sent a quote from the movie London Has Fallen, 2016 American action thriller film. I have never heard of this. I don't think so, Darwin. It's the second installment. It's actually a series of movies called the Has Fallen film series, the sequel to the 2013 film Olympus Has Fallen, starring Gerard Butler. We'll leave it there. And Aaron Eckert. Here's the opening for this scene, and then I'll get to the quote that Darwin has picked. So the opening is, before the quote, U.S. 45th president, fictitious, Benjamin Asher, played by Aaron Eckert, says, seriously, what the hell they make you out of? And he's running backwards. And Secret Service agent Mike Banning, played by Gerard Butler, says, bourbon and poor choices. That's the quote Darwin has selected. I had to get the context, Darwin. Otherwise, bourbon and poor choices as he's running backwards at great speed. So Darwin, help us out. What does this have to do with well-being? Talk to me. Well, for whatever reason, when asked to provide a quote, I thought about that movie because um, to me, it represents that well-being is a choice. It's not something that we just accept. We are not a victim to any of the circumstances, despite this um, unparalleled circumstance that we are still living in, right, with the pandemic. Um, so I thought it was, it was a good way just to remind ourselves that, you know what, we can choose to be, to be healthy. We can choose to be happy. We can make choices um, that reflect um, what we want to prioritize and how we want to engage with our family, with society, with our business partners, with the world, right? So um, that, that, that's why it resonated with me. Thank you very much. Well, I love it. And I watched the movie scene and it's it's really cool. I have to watch the movie. I may have seen it, but I don't remember it. In this age of sit down and binge watch, right? I can watch a series, 8, 10, 12 episodes in a weekend and then go to another series on Monday and then come back and I say, what did I see? I don't know. It's just just too many. <clears throat> I'm a big fan of British and Australian uh, whodunits, thrillers, detective stories with one name titles. So I'll send you the list of what I've been watching. Let's go to Jen Fisher. Jen has sent us a quote. This really surprised me. She said she's a Miami girl. This from a song called I Feel Good by Pitbull, American rapper, singer, songwriter, brand ambassador, businessman, and actor. And his real name, I didn't know this, Jen, is Armando Christian Perez, 
born in 1981. I call him a very young man, and I already said who he is. He has sold over 25 million studio albums and over 100 million singles worldwide. And I want to just give the lead-up of the lyrics to the quote. May I, Jen? Is that all right? Absolutely, yeah. It feels good to see the world getting loose. feels good to see the world getting loose. I don't know about you. I don't know about you. I don't know about you. It's only one life. You don't get two. So live life. Don't let it live you. That's her quote. Jen, this is exciting. How'd you <laughs> find this one? Talk to me. Well, first of all, I'm a huge Pitbull fan. Um, I, you know, talk about moving your body and exercising. He is my go-to um, in my earbuds when I am doing any t- any type of movement of my body because I just find the, the music and the lyrics fun. They make me smile um, and, and you kind of can't stand still when you're listening to them. And so, um, but, you know, and, and also I, I think that Pitbull is incredible incredibly creative. Um, you know, you wouldn't necessarily think of him kind of like you didn't, right? But mm-hmm. I think he does if you if you step back and you listen to some of the messages that come through in his songs, um, you know, they, they are very inspiring. And so, you know, you, you have one life to live, you know, live it, don't let it live you. As I reflect on the last 18 months or so that we've all lived through and my own personal experiences, I think, early on in the pandemic, you know, life was living me. <laughs> you know, I, I, you know, I think we all, there was so much uncertainty, so much anxiety. Um, so, you know, what the future was going to be like, how long this was going to last, um, that so many of us, including myself, I think just kind of relinquished control of what, you know, of what life was going to be, because it was just hard and frustrating. Mm-hmm. Um, and there was so much that we could not control. And there was a, a light bulb moment for me, Um, In particular, where I realized that I was, you know, overworking and using work as a coping mechanism for myself. So even as the chief well-being officer, as I got on Zoom calls with so many of my colleagues, telling them to set boundaries and be intentional about the choices that they're making in their life, especially now because so much had been removed from us in terms of our, you know, coping mechanisms, I myself was not making good choices and I was using work as a coping mechanism because it was something that felt like it was in my control. So I was sending emails at 10, 11, 12 o'clock at night without realizing, you know, the negative impact that it was having on me, but also the colleagues that that I was, you know, engaging with, right? And so I had a light bulb moment of, okay, just because I can work <laughs> and the technology allows me to, I shouldn't be doing that, right? And I needed to take control of the life that I was living and put much more healthy coping mecha- mechanisms that I knew how to do. I just wasn't doing them, right? And so I think that in, on a lot of levels, that quote just resonates with me. It's It's true. I'm a cancer survivor. We only have one life, right? Um, so regardless of what life throws at us um, and the disruption that we're living through, whether it's a global, global pandemic or something else, the world is incredibly disrupted and will continue to be. And so we have to be so intentional about the choices that we make for ourselves and the life we want to live and to protect our own well-being. Thank you, Jen. Thank you so much. Um, beautiful words. And we're glad you're here. That's Thank all you. I'm going to say. And you, your comment was, we didn't know what the future would be. And I'm going to add for some of us, we didn't know if there would be a future. We really didn't know, right? What is tomorrow? What does it mean? Where will we be? Who will who will we be? Who will be with us? All right. of that. So very dramatic time. You're absolutely right. Thank you for your 
Thank you for sharing. I'll mm-hmm. say that overused phrase, but I mean it from my heart. Let's go to the quote from Nishida Henry. This is interesting. Ted Lasso. Who doesn't love Ted Lasso? I live for Friday nights. It used to be for Blue Bloods. Now it's when's the next episode dropping of Ted Lasso? American sports comedy drama. Not much soccer, but very colorful characters. Streaming on Apple TV Plus. Debuted August 14, 2020. This is a no. It's a line. Four words from season one, episode eight. And the episode was called, I researched this, Nishida. I had to know Diamond Dogs, and this day, this episode debuted on September eighteenth, twenty twenty. So a month after, yes, episode eight. They were doing weekly. Um, this is a, Ted Lasso is played by Jason Sudeikis, is one of the creators of the show, and he wore a beautiful blue velvet suit at the Emmys last week, which was dramatic in itself. Quite a cast. However, this is a quote where he said something. He's in the bar. He has just won a dare over darts. Um, Rebecca is try- hired him to lose the team because her ex-husband owned the team, and she ends up, everybody loves Ted Ted Lasso, Jason Sudeikis. And he is playing darts and he's won and he looks at her and says, okay, you buy the round. You have to say it. She had to buy for everybody in the place. But the line he says, it's so iconic, is supposedly a quote from Walt Whitman, but it's not. But we still love the line. Be curious, not judgmental. I hope that wasn't too much of a run-up there, Nishida. Four little words and I gave a thousand word run-up. Nishida, how did you find this quote and what does it have to do with our topic? All yours. Go ahead. Awesome. Um, I love Ted Lasso. I think it is one of my absolute favorite shows of a COVID pandemic. Um, I watched season one twice. I loved it so much. And then we've started season two and we binged season one because we hadn't watched it when it had just come out. And now it's like torture waiting for the next episode to come out. Um, but the, the, the goodness of that show and the goodness of humanity is what I think we all desperately needed to see um, in an age where we see so much that isn't goodness. Um, so that's why I really loved the show and and the line, be curious, not judgmental to me, you know, we all as humans have a tendency to quickly make judgments and quickly make assumptions about people just on what we see and just on a couple interactions. And I think it was so important to remember, we have no idea what people's backgrounds are. We have no idea what they're going through in life. You know, when we were all working through this pandemic, you know, the, the people who had young children at home that they're trying to homeschool and trying to work, um, you know, the people who are caring for sick parents or, or other friends and family, the people that were struggling with their own health issues, there are things we just cannot know, will not know, and frankly should not know, but to give people the grace and understanding um, that other things might be going on that are affecting how they're showing up or their behavior or what they're doing um, and give people um, the opportunity to show up and to work and to be in any way that fits what they need at that time. And I think we um, will get the best out of people when we adapt to their own circumstances versus assuming their circumstances are like our own. Um, So that's how I be curious, not judgmental really shows up for me. And, you know, I'm a quick decision maker. I'm a driver. I get things done. And it's real easy for me to fall into the trap (laughs) of being judgmental. And I have to be conscious about take a minute, think about what's going on. What else is happening here that I can't see um, and ask questions, be interested, truly try to understand what's happening around us and then form an opinion as opposed to rushing to judgment. 
Thank you. And that used to be called something like walk a mile in my shoes is who, who am I? Where am I going? What is my life like at this moment in time? And interesting, Nishida, with digital, with the technology of connectivity, we're going to get to Darwin's first statement in a second for the formal discussion round here, the roundtable. Um, the idea that you could see people's lives, right? We were on Zoom. We were on meetings. You could see where they were. What did that room look like? Was there a bed behind them? Was it made with their kids running in and out? Was there a cat or a dog walking on the scene behind them? What were they wearing? What, what, was their, what was their demeanor rather than coming to the office and being office garbed, if you will, office <laughs> uniformed, right? The office, oh, I'm in my office uniform, whatever it is. But at home, we saw a whole different side of who people really were and how they were living and how they were trying to cope. So thank you all. Really loved the movie and song quotes. I still can't get over the Pitbull quote from you. I'm sorry, Pitbull, Jen Fisher. That's going to be a surprise for me. Let's go to our formal discussion round. Roundtable, Darwin Deano starts it off. Statement number one, connection matters even more now than ever. We must strive to resist being desensitized due to Zoom fatigue and overstimulation from social media and serial entertainment streaming. I think I just admitted to that. Darwin, give us some tips for the audience, and then we'll go around and see what Jen and Nishida have to say in terms of agree or disagree. Darwin, you're up. Yep. Thanks, Bonnie. Um, so my perspective is, and I think this is really knowing this audience that we have here, um, this panel that we have here, it's preaching to the choir, but never has it been, has it been more important um, to stay in the moment, to stay present. Never has it been more important to connect, to galvanize ourselves towards a shared purpose, to harness our natural, um, uh, our, our nature as social species, right? Um, and and um, really what we're seeing, especially in our business, is that burnout has risen as a very potent, carbon monoxide, if you will, of this virtual world. And uh, we need to be vigilant and stay connected and really look after each other. Um, I love um, uh, the, the quotes uh, that were provided by Jen and Nishita, uh, especially being about being curious and not judgmental, because the reality is we are all going through something. And, and it's easy uh, for us to be, to underestimate or gloss over what we're already seeing and witnessing in front of our eyes, right? So I think it's, it's a call to action to be vigilant and to really um, um, help each other through and, and make sure that, um, um, that no one is, um, you know, connected yet really isolated and, and feeling helpless, right? So um, uh, call to action in essence. Thank you. And to remember that there are others, not just us, right? There are others coping as well. Wonderfully put. Jen Fisher, agree or disagree? And Darwin told me you're okay to disagree with him. He'll be very, very nice about it. Well, given I just published a book on this very topic, (laughs) I think I wholeheartedly agree with this statement. Um, Look, I, you know, we were experiencing a loneliness epidemic prior to the pandemic and the pandemic has only made it worse. And, you know, we talked a little bit about the technology that we have at our disposal and, you know, we have more technology and have adopted technology um, into every aspect of our life faster than we've done it done in anything in human history. And we, you know, we've adopted and adopted and adopted technology. We haven't adapted to it very well as human beings. And it has had a significant impact on our ability 
to connect with others because virtual and digital connection is just not real connection. Can it sustain and enhance real connection? Absolutely. Um, but it is not real connection. And um, so so we need we have an opportunity to get better at that. I, I keep saying one of my you know hopes, you know, after you know post pandemic, and I know in different parts of the world things are opening up in different ways, but you know, that we'll go to restaurants and we'll look around and we won't see you know, four people sitting at a table on their digital device. We will see four people sitting at a table looking each other in the eye and having meaningful conversation and meaningful dialogue. And so we just need to be much more intentional um, about the relationships that we are creating and sustaining and how and how we are doing that. Um, there is so much research behind the fact that, you know, relationships, meaningful relationships in the workplace and outside of the workplace are an antidote for burnout. Um, you know, ha feeling connected, feeling a sense of belong belonging, liking the people that I work with um, gives me a sense of purpose to get up in the morning and want to connect with them and want to do the work that I do. And so, um, you know, I, I know that it's not possible to love everybody that you work with, <laughs> but, but I do advocate for finding a few good friends at work. It makes all the difference in the world and can, can stave off, um, you know, the loneliness that so many of us are feeling, which is real, as well as, you know, just enhance work productivity, um, innovation, creativity. And then I just want to say a quick reflection on, on Nishida's quote um, about being curious, not judgmental. I am somebody that has struggled with anxiety for, for many years. And during the pandemic, I um, read a book called Unwinding Anxiety by Dr. Judson Brewer. And I learned a strategy for my anxiety that I had never heard or learned before and it is about getting curious about your anxiety so for those of you that struggle with anxiety all of us have certainly felt anxiety over the last 18 months um, instead yeah. of you know choosing an activity that's kind of a, a coping mechanism which isn't bad but most of us choose to do something that makes us immediately feel better sometimes those coping mechanisms are healthy sometimes they're not but it's a habit loop we feel anxiety we do an activity it makes us feel better it becomes habitual and so he talks about instead of auto, going into autopilot and, and kind of doing that habitual habit loop getting curious about really understanding what your anxiety is and for me Nishida your quote really resonates because when I get anxiety and I can't immediately make myself feel better or I don't know what's causing it, I start to get very judgmental with myself, which makes it worse. <laughs> and so that quote of being curious, not judgmental for anybody that struggles with anxiety on an ongoing basis or just has it every once in a while, try getting curious about your anxiety and be kind to yourself and give yourself a little bit of grace um, because the life that we're living in, it, it's hard and it's okay to say that it's hard. <laughs> Thank you, Jen. And I have to add, uh, Judson Allen, A-L-Y-N Brewer, MD, PhD, is an American psychiatrist, neuroscientist, and New York Times bestselling author. He studies the neural mechanisms of mindfulness using standard and real-time fMRI and has translated research findings into programs to treat addictions. He's all of 47 years old, and he's affiliated with Brown University. And I just wanted you to know that I knew that automatically in my mind when you mentioned his name. I didn't have to look it up. <laughs> That's impressive, Bonnie. You I always know, impress I know. me. <laughs> Thank you very much. I'm also very, very fast with Google. Thank you very much. I promise we promised we'd give actionable tips and strategies to our listeners today, and you are all contributing to that. So 
Thank you. And we can love the ones we're with today because we all like each other very, very much, including our showrunner. I didn't mention her. Hasmin Bolianos is with us, and she's in the background waving and cheering us on. Nishida, we'd love to get your thoughts on going back to what Darwin said and or what Jen added. Agree or disagree with anything? Nishida. Yeah, I don't know how I could disagree. I, I totally um, resonate with what both said. And, and Jen, you know, we are all our own worst critics. And it is so important for us to get out of our own heads sometimes and remember that, uh, you know, frankly, no one thinks about us as much as we think about us. So we should get it out of our heads too <laughs> um, and start at it in the other way. And what Darwin said, we're here to help each other. It's a call to action to reach out um, and, you know, really totally resonate with friends at work. Um, it is a, a great source of comfort to know you have friends who know and understand what people are going through in your own environments, and that's so important, um, and to also give each other perspective. Jen and I were actually this week down at Deloitte University for the first time for me in 18 months, um, and it was, I cannot tell you how energizing it was. I was with a team that I hadn't seen in 18 months. We'd been in Zoom together, you know, leading a firm through um, a pandemic is no small task and the intensity of what we were doing um, and, and the fun had been sucked out of it, honestly, right? On Zoom, there, there's a little bit of fun. You can banter, but you can't, there's no relaxing. There's no spontaneity. Um, that physical connection isn't there. So getting that this week. I was so energized, so much more ready for work, so much more excited to get back into it this morning than I have been in so very long. Um, and so I don't think that it can be underestimated on how important that physical connection can be, putting the devices down, looking each other in the eye, really getting to know each other. Um, and so, I, you know, as much as I believe that the tech is going to help us change lives in terms of giving you more freedom and flexibility with work and life, I also encourage us not to go to one direction or the other, right? We've got to find some happy medium where we are working both of those in, where you get that work-life flexibility, but that human connection at work to really understand each other is so important to making progress as an organization. Uh, and so I'm so looking forward to having that back in our lives and, and uh, can't wait for more of it, frankly. Thank you very much. What a great round. Darwin, terrific conversation starter. Anything you'd like to say back to your co-panelists now? Nope, just taking notes and learning from their lens. So There you go. And I'll, I'm going to order the transcript after this, and you'll get the video, too. Some very iconic statements coming out today. Appreciate that. Jen Fisher is up next. And, Jen, I looked at your statement number one and two, and I'd like to combine them. I think there's an intersectionality or, a, or not an overlap, just an extension to them. So your statement number one says, well-being needs to go beyond benefits and perks. It needs to be about the culture. Statement number two says, Everyone is accountable for well-being at the organization, team, and individual level. So if we can tie that into culture, I like to say, whose job is it anyway? Whose job is it to say, we're going to, we're going to talk about well-being, we're going to practice well-being, we're going to support well-being? Whose job is it within a corporate culture today? Jen, you're up. Talk to me. Yeah, I, I think the simple answer is that it's everybody's job, but I will unpack that. Um, and as, as I reflect kind of pre-pandemic, but even before that, I mean, if I think about, and, and this is reflective of Deloitte as well as many organizations that I spend time with and I speak to, you know, well-being programs have been on the scene for, for quite some time and, and organizations have been investing in them. But if I think about the way that we have designed and deployed them in an organization, it has been wholly owned in large part from a programmatic perspective by HR. And that's not wrong. I think the core of it should be owned by HR. But what I mean by going beyond benefits and perks is that 
you know, what we've learned, what we've seen is that if you don't step back as a leadership team, as a, you know, a senior leader, leadership team, but also as a, as a leader of a team, <laughs> so not just the leader of an organization, and say, what are, the, what are the long-standing behaviors and norms? And those can be spoken behaviors and norms or things that are underlying, that are unspoken, that are actually preventing people from taking advantage of the programs, tools, resources, and benefits that the firm or the organization is spending money on, right? And so a lot of organizations will say, well, we've invested in X, Y, and Z, but nobody's taking advantage of it. So it must be the wrong thing or it must be that they don't care. And my add to that is I don't think that mm -hmm. it's, it might be the wrong thing, and it, but it's definitely not that they don't care about well-being. It's that they don't feel like they have the permission to take advantage of what's being provided to them, right? And that gets to culture. And so that gets to leadership behaviors, leaders not just talking the talk, but openly demonstrating and being authentic about how they walk the talk. What does this look like in their life, right? Organizations that not just celebrate financial metrics, but celebrate and reward behaviors that, you know, that empower people not only to take care of their own well-being, but to take care of the well-being of the people that they work most closely with. And so, um, you know, so I think we need to get, we need to have those benefits and perks. Those are foundational programs that need to support the well-being of our organizations. But in order for this to truly come to life, it is everybody. Everybody is the Accountable. The organization and the organizational leadership has a role to look at programs and policies that may or you know that, that may be negatively impacting people's well-being, and that they were designed a long time ago with good intentions. But the way we're working is so different, and so we need to step back and look at those organizational leaders that walk the talk at the team level. And we talk a lot about this at, at Deloitte, and I know Nishida will probably have something to say about this. But team behaviors and norms. We know from all of our research that the people that have the biggest negative or positive impact on our well-being day-to-day are the people that we come in most contact with. So for working adults that spend most of their day, Monday through Friday, working, those are the people that we work. That's our team, right? And so having these conversations as a team, what do we want our working teams, what do we want our working norms to look like? What do we want our standard hours, you know, working hours to be? How do we get in touch with each other outside of working hours so we don't always feel like we're all connected to, have to be connected to email all the time? And then at the individual level, you know, Darwin said this at the beginning, you know, we are all responsible for our own well-being. We're all responsible for figuring out what our self-care non-negotiables are, setting boundaries, communicating what those boundaries are, and respecting those boundaries. I think the most fascinating thing about boundaries, we could have a whole show on boundaries, I think, is that we lock up our things. We lock up our homes, we lock up our cars, we lock up things that are valuable to us, but when it comes to our personal well-being, we keep the doors unlocked and let everybody come in and rob us. <laughs> and then we get mad, you know, and then we're like, oh my gosh, Darwin or Nishida, they just don't respect me. They totally overrun my, overran my boundaries. And my response is, did you actually tell them what your boundaries were or did you just assume that they would know them? Because you can't make that assumption. And I have found that when I communicate my boundaries, Nine times out of 10, we find a different way or a different time to get things done. But that's my responsibility to be open and authentic and to communicate what my needs are. I want to know when you're opening up your Jen Fisher therapy practice. Cause <laughs> I, I, I want, I've been looking for somebody like you to talk to. <laughs> 
I want to be your first client. I didn't say patient client. Thank you very much, Jen. Nishida, you're right now virtually sitting next to Jen Fisher, whether you know it or not. And I'm going to ask you to agree or disagree, and that's okay, too. Nishida, you're up. Talk to us. Awesome. Yeah, I, I agree with Jen in the the culture piece of it for sure, right? So no matter what programs you have, if people are not taking advantage of them, you have to really look systemically around what is preventing that. You know, so for instance, when we first started all of our um, family leave that applied to both men and women for the birth of a child, um, we didn't see a lot of men taking it, right? There was a stigma against taking it. There was a um, perception that if you took it, you, you know, weren't dedicated to the job and what does a man need time off for, blah, 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 right? And it's like, no, actually, that man is supporting a woman by taking that time off, right? And supporting their spouse or, you know, um, wh- whoever their, their partner might be. In addition, you know, we had to demonstrate those good behaviors as leaders. We had to demonstrate that leaders were taking that time off, that they were taking advantage of the programs. Um, you know, when we talk about, uh, you know, during the pandemic, giving, you know, no meeting days on Fridays, leaders are still scheduling meetings. Guess what? People are still coming. <laughs> um, if leaders are still attending those meetings and they see that happening, um, you know, that behavior continues. We had a culture around here of, you know, P- even when you were on PTO, people calling in for call because we were dedicated to each other and you felt bad about missing something that was important. But we actually had to call each other out and say, I know you're on vacation. You need to get off of this call, right? Because your behavior as a role model is important. And if you don't role model good behavior, other people won't feel the, the ability to. So I think all of that's important. The team piece of it, 100%. The people around you are so important. And so that's why we are very clear that it's not just a top-down program. This needs to be bottoms up. It needs to be felt by the team leaders, by the folks working every day with you on giving each other grace, on being curious about what everyone's situation is, having one-on-one conversations. What do you need? Like, hey, if you need to be homeschooling between the times of, you know, eight and noon, then why don't you schedule less meetings then and we'll push some of the stuff out in the afternoon. But we need to know these things, as Jen said, in order to be able to craft the right working environments. If we don't know, we can't help. So, I mean, you know, I think it's, it's responsibility on both sides of the organization in order to make that known. Thank you very much. Wow. I'm learning a lot and I'm very impressed with how you're all articulating this topic that our listeners really will benefit from. Darwin, you're third on this round. Go ahead. What do you think? Yeah, I, I, I completely agree. Um, I, I love the phrasing of well-being as a culture um, to really embed it in your day-to-day, right? Um, um, some, some of us have a tendency to compartmentalize well-being and put it on a pedestal. Um, so what Jen and Nishita have shared examples of how to really operationalize what Jen called the self-care non-negotiables, uh, which I really love. Um, so, um, and, and actively share it, right? And, and I think as leaders, we have the responsibility to lead by example. So um, I've been telling my team, for example, that every day I look for a couple of meetings that I can take while walking, ideally in nature, but at the minimum away from my desk. Um, it's one of my operationalization of my self-care non-negotiables uh, to, to, to do. So, so I think it, it is about that. It's being transparent about your boundaries and also really defining not necessarily big moves, but what are the tactical things that you could do to embed um, well-being and, and, and um, find that happy medium, as Nishida says. So completely agree with my colleagues. 
Thank you very much. Jen, this was yours. Anything you want to say back to the others? I think, Bonnie, you're going to have a hard time getting us to disagree with each other on on this topic. <laughs> that, that's what I'm thinking about now. I, you know, I, I, one other reflection that, that I have that has been coming up a lot, um, in particular for those people that have been working remotely, working from home, you know, the past 18 months or so, and what we're hearing a lot of is that it's not, and, and I think that this is really relevant as we think about the future of work, we think about hybrid. Um, for those that, for those days or for those people that will continue to work remotely and not co-located with others, it's not just about the sheer number of hours that people are working, right? So even if the number of, if, if business leaders are looking at the number of hours that are people are working and saying, why are people burned out? They're working the same number of hours. I think we, what we need to think about as we chart this path forward is that when you're working remotely, the, the, the hours might be the same or close to the same, but that what you're doing during those hours is very different. And that's what is creating a lot of the burnout. So if you are co-located in an office, you're having side conversations, you're laughing on this topic, you're getting up to walk down the hall to get coffee, you give yourself permission to go walk down the street to get lunch, and then you're usually having lunch with somebody. You're commuting in and commuting home. When you're working strictly from home or remotely, you usually roll out of bed and roll straight to the computer, <laughs> right? I think we've learned over the pandemic how to not do that, right? But we're still not giving, I mean, if you're like me, you, you know, for lunch, you kind of, unless you're intentional about it, you go into the kitchen and you find what's easily available, you bring it back to your laptop and you shovel it in your mouth before you get on your next video call, right? And I know better. <laughs> and so I think what business leaders need to think about is when they have a hybrid workforce or, or a remote workforce, it's it's permissioning people to actually take some of those same intentional or unintentional kind of breaks that just happen during the day when you're co-located that don't seem to happen in the same way. And so thinking about not just the sheer number of hours, but how are people actually spending their time? Because I I think that that is one of the big areas that we're seeing that's leading to the fatigue and burnout. Thank you very much. Appreciate that. Let's go to Nishida. Statement number three. I think we talked a little bit about this before, but I'd like you to unpack it. Nishida says the means and the ends are just as important as we redefine work and outcomes. It's not enough to measure outcomes. And she gives as an example, timely delivery of a project, but we must also measure the process it took to get there. The hours worked, the attrition, the career development. Darwin is nodding effusively. So we know he'll probably agree with this one. Nishida, you're up. Talk to us about this, please. Go ahead. Yeah, I think this is so important. You know, in our culture, we are so tuned to what the outcome is, right? Um, what's the, the deliverable? Did it get done at the right time? Um, you know, did, did, did you go live on the date you said you'd go live? You know, did these three functions make it into your product? Um, and while, yes, all that is important, it is not the only thing that's important. You did all that and you had attrition of your team of 50%. And you have people who are so burnt out that they, you know, need to take a, a, a long extended break. You have, um, you know, lost, you know, the, the camaraderie of the team and you have team members who dislike each other intensely. Um, all that stuff happens when you are just flat out working to the outcome. 
Um, and you're not paying attention to how are people working together? What type of work is required? Um, can you do it in a more flexible manner? How, how much time are you taking to do it? Like if you're, if you have teams working 80 hours a week, you don't have enough people staffed on that project, <laughs> right? Go put more people on it. If you have people who are commit, you know, creating all of these mistakes, you have people who aren't trained. So how are you doing better at workforce development in order to improve those outcomes and the means in which you got there? So I think it's incredibly important for us to remember as we're measuring success that we need to have a broader range of KPIs, right? And we need to really be looking at um, the type of leadership on those teams, how those teams have come together, how much attrition you have on those teams, you know, how much those teams want to work together again. Um, and all those metrics are just as important as the outcome because it's only going to make the next project better if you can measure the, the, the means of how you got there in a more productive way. Thank you very much. Let's go around the table. Darwin, your thought leadership, add please. Yeah, I, I, I love it because um, you can really only improve what you measure. And tragically, with the work that we do, we measure the outcome and the results, um, mm -hmm. not necessarily the process. So I, I completely agree. I think the fixation on outcome makes us rigid and always focus on the deadlines. And as a side effect, we are never really present. Um, I'd like to offer, and, and Bonnie can relate to this, that you know, one of the ways, um, in addition to measuring the process, is we can take a cue from the artists, from the musicians. They're always in the moment, always curious, always inclusive, open to new ideas, new beats, new colors, new, new palettes, always anticipating inspiration. Yes. Right. Um, and and it's, it's, it's such a different mindset that, you know, hopefully combined with being deliberate about measuring the process, will allow us to be more focused holistically on, on uh, what we're trying to do, right? So um, completely agree and um, very, very grateful for the statements. Thank you. And Darwin and I are both musicians. We're both drummers, although he's been doing it for about 30 years and I've been doing it for about three years. But I, I understand and love everything he said. And I'm an artist as well. And I appreciate what you said about the colors and the shapes and the forms and being open, right? And inviting in newness and seeing what happens and what the combinations and what the shapes tell you. My paintings tell me a lot that I didn't intend and I learned from them. So there. Jen, let's go to you. You're third on this round about what Nishida said and what Darwin added. Jen Fisher, you're up. Yeah, I, I, I'm wholeheartedly in favor of measuring the, I, I think what we're talking about is measuring the human impacts of delivering a, a project, right? And it's, it's not something that we have historically done or, or thought about. Um, but you know, I step back and, and I think about an organization like Deloitte or any organization that employs human beings. And if you aren't looking at and measuring the downstream human impact, then you are sub-optimizing pretty much everything about your business, <laughs> right? And so we do need to step back and say, what is the human impact of the way that we are designing and delivering work and looking at our workflows and figuring out you know, you know, Darwin, you talked about kind of embedding well-being into the culture. You know, we talk about as embedding well-being into the flow of work, right? And so where are those moments in the flow of our work where one or two or three or 10 or the entire team can step back um, and take a break, right? And these are things that don't have to be 
you know, we're all going to take a two week vacation. These are moments throughout your day. And how do you intentionally design your day or the flows of your work or the flows of a project to deliver it in a way that the human impact is um, enhancing as well as the delivered product? <laughs> Thank you. Nishita, anything you want to say back to them? I want to squeeze in one more topic from Darwin, but we have time for you. Anything you want to add? Yeah, no, I think they said it perfectly. Let's go to the next topic. Thank you. This is interesting. Darwin's statement number four, he says, we are truly in the age of with, W-I-T-H, with AI, that's artificial intelligence, intelligent automation, with pandemic, with social media, with 5G and more, well-being strategies need to factor in these evolving realities. That is a very strong and interesting statement. Darwin, we only have about eight minutes left to the show, but go for it, take about three, and then we'll see what Jen and Nishida have to say. Go ahead, Darwin. Yeah, I, I think we're very early in moving beyond the traditional view of well-being, right? Jen referenced earlier that, oh, the big move is take two weeks vacation. Um, and, and while we should encourage that, and, and that's definitely a tool, I think we are early in our evolution to really accepting that that's not the only solution. And we've talked throughout the conversation today about how to embed, how to operationalize, how to measure the process, not just the outcome. Um, all of this, it, to me, is a convergence of we have to really examine that in the context that we are in, what strategies need to be in place, both big and small, both strategic and tactical, um, to, 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 to help each other uh, go through this. Because ultimately, um, well-being leads to happiness, happiness leads to better performance, better performance leads to better service and better society overall. So it's all connected. It's the fuel, as the chief says. Thank you. Let's go around the table. We have time. Jen Fisher, thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I, I love that, you know, the, and I think the, the age of with, right? I mean, the, the technology that we have at our disposal today, if we can take <laughs> what we know about that and how we are using it in, in business to, you know, excel our businesses and make leaps and bounds and in innovation um, and, and even just take a sliver of that to say, I mean, there's so much we can do related to our health and well-being with the technology that's at our disposal. And it's getting better daily, I feel like, <laughs> right? I mean, we're hearing about new innovations and, um, but, but this does require a mindset change on the, on the part of so many, um, which requires behavior change, which then ultimately will lead to culture change. But I think, you know, harnessing the power of the technology that we have at our disposal and turning it towards um, how do we actually, um, you know, empower or power human potential driven by this fuel of well-being that Nishida talks about, right? Um, and I and I and I think there's, a, I mean, I'm excited about the opportunity um, for 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 what's coming related to technology enhancing who we are as human beings and truly enhance, enhancing our well-being. Thank you, Nishida. You're up. Thoughts? And the age of width is is so relevant and it requires as Jen just said a mindset shift because you could be fearful of age of width right technology's come in it's taken my job it's taken the things that I um, you know used to do or you could look at it as it's going to enable me to free up time to do the things that I really want to do and that I am really good at for the organization um, and so it's going to require us to adapt you know the famous saying is nothing is constant except change and, and Darwin's whole, you know, it's not the strongest who survive, not the fittest, but those most adaptable to change. 
And I think it's so important for us to recognize that, yes, it's going to require us to change, require us to learn new things, require us to um, relate in different ways. And it's so important um, for all of us to improve our understanding of what that change is, understanding of what we're capable of, try new things. Um, because I, I actually think of this like the last industrial revolution when, you know, the, that part of the world that time thought, okay, that's it. There's not going to be used for humans anymore, right? What we learned is that it created millions and millions and millions of new jobs. And the same thing is going to happen here. It's going to create millions and millions and millions of new types of jobs. We just have to be open enough to learn how to adapt into them, how to, how to change and how to, you know, create that opportunity. And we have to emphasize the value of doing something productive called work for a purpose that makes sense to the individual as well as the organization. Yes, we'll leave that one. That's a whole other topic. <laughs> I, we have about three and a half minutes left. What I'd like to do is give you each 60 seconds, and I mean 60 seconds, not five minutes, 60 seconds for a quick prediction. If we met again, let's be short term, one year from now, the end of September 2022, that's a tongue twister. 2022. I can hear Barbara Walters. Would we still be talking about this? And in very brief terms, what would you be saying about this topic? Darwin, you're up. 60 seconds. Go. Predict, please. I, I resist uh, the request to predict. I, I, I want to change it to an intention, right? And, and the intention is to help lead a well-being renaissance, if you will, right? Uh, let's yeah. go into that romance period where, where we really become so focused for us as a society in all aspects, not just in business. Um, so that's that's my take. I like that. Jen Fisher, thoughts? Yeah, I, I mean, I, I love the the thought around uh, the intention. I, I like to say that that goals are of the of the mind and intentions are of the heart. And so um, I think when you think about intentions, that's really about, you know, who we are as human beings, because, you know, we 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 have a heart that cares for others and wants to connect with others. And that's who we are at our core. So um, I'm terrible at making predictions. And so there's a quote that somebody said that we've all heard, if you want to predict the future, then create it or something along those lines. <laughs> um, and so I think, you know, what you have heard here today is, you know, some, some thoughts on, you know, what we're all, what we've all lived through, what we're all experiencing and, the intention to create a better world and a better working world for all of us through a relentless focus on human thriving, human flourishing, human well-being. Um, and I'm really excited about that. So I think if we were to reconvene in a year, um, hopefully we would have a, you know, we would have a similar conversation, but we would have evolved. You know, we will have moved the needle um, recognizing that sometimes the needles on these things move really quickly and sometimes they move really slowly. <laughs> we're going to move the needle really quickly to Nishida. 45 seconds, go ahead. Yeah, I, so I predict we'll still be talking about because it's taken hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years for us to live in a culture that didn't value well-being. It's going to take intention. <laughs> it's going to take focus. It's going to take dedication to changing that culture. Um, and so I just say we can't let up. We can't let this topic go by the wayside because things are going to be busy. The market is hot. Um, you know, people have lots of things pulling at them in many directions that it's easy to take our eye off this ball. Um, but it's up to all of us to make sure that we stay focused on taking care of ourselves and each other. Thank you. Wonderful words to end with. Thank you, Darwin Diano. Always a pleasure. Keep drumming. 
watch my video one of these days and tell me what you think of the chick drummer, the red boots, Jen Fisher. So happy you're here with us today. Thank you for sharing and articulating so many, I'm going to say beautiful thoughts to, to help enlighten and inspire people. Nishita Henry, always a pleasure. So smart, so articulate as well. Thank you to the team behind the scenes, Hasmin Bolanos. Thank you, Natalie Butlin and Maria Rechtenwald at Deloitte. Thank you to our engineer extraordinaire, Aaron Keller at Voice America Business Channel. Aaron started out talking about well-being, Jen. He started working with me three years ago. He was 26. He's now 62, but we're working on that. We put him through his paces, but he's wonderful. And I want to say to everybody, thank you so much for tuning in to The Kinetic Enterprise presented by Deloitte. Stay tuned. We'll have another one, another live show in a couple of weeks, two weeks to be exact, and more great insights for all of you. Everybody at Deloitte, wave goodbye. Bye-bye. Bonnie D signing off. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to The Kinetic Enterprise, built to evolve, presented by Deloitte. Be sure to join host Bonnie D. Graham next Friday at 6 a.m. Pacific Time and 9 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Deloitte can help you reimagine everything in order to get the most out of your SAP investments and position your business for tomorrow's demands. Learn more at Deloitte.com SAP. This program is copyright Deloitte Development, LLC. All rights reserved.